So thank you to Miriam for you know, putting this together and creating the flyer and contacting all of you. This is an exciting time you know, to see most of old students and some new ones uh, coming together uh, during busy times on, uh, on a weeknight to, to study some Torah. So I was thinking, uh, what can we talk about? What can we learn? And uh, I received uh, some recommendations and Tefillah, Amida, Tehillim, Parashat Shavua, Mikhtav Meliyahu. I was I was uh, amazed when I saw that one. Uh, that's amazing. Um, but uh, so I figured to go a certain route here, and uh, I I'm positive that you're going to enjoy it. And what we're going to do is is look at some some ideas on the parasha through through a Hasidic lens. And the reason why we do that is because Hasidut has this way of um, engaging in the parasha that can really, really branch out and touch upon a lot of different uh, parts of our religion, a lot of parts of our Judaism. And and within that, we will we will get some stories in, we'll get some um, meaningful... Uh, uh, ideas that uh, that apply to us, and you know, I so I, as as long as we we have to have a, a a main focus, so that will be the parasha. But then again, where that takes us, who knows? And that's the beauty of of Hasidut. You should know that uh, we Sfaradim uh, have have a, a strong connection, believe it or not, to to Hasidut. Our ways of Torah, our ways of study, is one. Um, like that, if you study all the major commentaries of the Torah, or Achaim Kadosh, even the Ramban often is very, very much delved in the in the Kabbalistic, um, spiritual, soulful part of of learning. That's not to say that the simple Peshat, the simple understanding of the text, isn't important. But nevertheless, we want to make the Torah meaningful to us. We want to make it. Soulful, and we want to walk out of here different. When I study the story of Adam and Chala, what does that mean to me? When I study about the Etzadat, how is that going to change my life? When I study about the creation of the world, how how am I going to perceive the world differently now when I walk down the street and when I see nature around me? If it's not making an impact on you, if it's not causing you to change in a positive way, then... What's the difference between this year and last year? Okay, so another year we read Bereshit. Okay, very cute. Yay, yay, yay. But nothing really changed in my life. So I think that's something that I, we will all enjoy and gain from. And, uh, and again, I invite you to uh, come along with me on this, on this journey. So without further ado, we'll start. And um, then after we're done, after I'm done, I'll pause the recording. Um, and then if you want to ask some questions, we can do that um, as well. So one of the questions that the Mefarshim ask is, why do we read Parashat Bereshit after Simchat Torah? Maybe you asked this question before. You would think it would make more sense to recite Parashat Bereshit after Rosh Hashanah. Right, New Year, so Rosh Hashanah. Let's start a new the the, the Torah uh, fresh again, fresh start. Why are we two weeks in or three weeks into Tishrei and now we start Bereshit? So one of the answers 
brought down um, is that people often look back at the month of Tishrei, the month that we're in now, and they're upset that they didn't take advantage of the holidays or the holy days of Tishrei. And therefore we tell them, Bereshit, Bereshit bara lokim, don't worry about the past. You have another opportunity now to start fresh. There was once a, a Jew from a city in Poland who was traveling to see his rabbi in Lublin, another city in Poland. And he wasn't really familiar with the directions, but he was told that if you follow this road, you're going to get to a road sign that has a sign with four arrows pointing in the four different directions. And one of the arrows points into the city where you come from, and the other arrow points into Lublin where you want to go. And all you have to do is follow the sign to get to Lublin to follow to get to that city. And that's how you reach your destination. So he started, started walking and trekking, and eventually he hit a snowstorm. And the the snowstorm was so fierce that when he approached when he reached this fork in the road that travels in four different directions, the sign fell. The sign with the four arrows fell on the floor. And he didn't know, even if he put the sign back up, he didn't know which how to uh, align it to make sure, to ensure that he was going in the right direction. Because if he put it in the wrong way, then maybe he's just going to end up in a different city. So he was very, very upset, but yet he was still clever. He was clever enough to know that he said, I know the road that I came from. I came from my hometown city. So if I lift up the sign, if I erect the sign and have this city that I come from with the arrow pointing in that direction, then I'll know where to go, where I need to go to Lublin. I'll know which direction to take to reach to Lublin. This story was actually said once at a Sheva Brachot for a Chatan and Kala. And the speaker said to the Chatan and Kala, the bride and the groom, and again, a, a potent message to everybody listening, that as you, Chatan and Kala, are beginning a new life, and you're treading new waters, things, and you're experiencing things that you've never seen or heard or felt before, uh, you're afraid. You're afraid because you don't know your path. You don't know what's going to be. But one thing you do know is you know where you came from. You know where your home is. And remember the house that you were brought up. And remember the schooling and the chinuch and the education and everything that helped you get to where you are right now. And when a person understands that, we can use this idea as a help, a direction for this time of year, right now. We've just finished Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Sukkot. The past needs to be our guide. We had wonderful, inspiring days of Rosh Hashanah. Some of us went to synagogue, some of us didn't go to synagogue. Yom Kippur, the same thing. Sukkot, the same thing. And many people made made upon the, took upon themselves certain kabbalot, certain acceptances, you know, resolutions for the new year. And that has to be your guide to help you figure out how you're going to lead your life in the new year. There's a story of uh, a, a rabbi named Rav Yitzchak. And Rav Yitzchak, he was very, very poor. And he lived in the city of Krakow. Uh, and he died about 300 and something, 370 years, almost 400 years ago. He was very, very poor. And one night, he had a dream that there was a great treasure hidden underneath a bridge, 
And he was excited because he was a poor man. So he decided the next day he was going to go travel to this bridge to dig up to see if he can find the treasure. So he went to the bridge and started to dig and dig and dig and dig for the treasure. And there was a policeman there watching me. What are you doing? He told me, I had a dream last night that under this bridge there's a treasure. And therefore I'm digging up to see if there's a treasure. So the policeman was standing there making fun of the guy, mocking him. He goes, you idiot. You know, I also had a dream. I had a dream that under the oven of this Jew named Yitzchak, there was a treasure. But what are dreams? Dreams mean nothing. You don't have supposed to pay attention to dreams. So this Rabbi Yitzchak, he didn't tell the policeman that his name was Yitzchak. And he figured that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted him there on purpose so that the policeman can tell him about his own dream. So lo and behold, he went back home. And based on the dream of the policeman, he pulled aside his oven, dug into the ground, and found <clears throat> a treasure. And with that money, <clears throat> he built a beautiful Bet Midrash, beautiful yeshiva, which he called the, the Shul of Yitzchak. And this is a true story that is repeated by many, many tzaddikim. And it's used uh, f- f- uh, as a mashal for many lessons. And one, one of the lessons that we can see say is that many people look forward to the high holidays, the Yamim Tovim, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, because they think that that's when they're going to find their treasure. It's during these holidays where I'm going to change and I'm going to be a different person and I'm going to find something new about what I'm looking for. And then when Yom Tov arrives, they discover that the treasure is with them the whole time. The treasure is inside of them. It was underneath your oven. You went to travel to go look for it, but really it was with you the whole time. So they take upon themselves acceptances. They take upon themselves resolutions to enable them to search and to find the treasure throughout throughout the year. We want the inspiration. We want the Kedushah. We want all the holiness that we had during the month of Tishrei to last with us throughout the year. <clears throat> that remain with us throughout the year. How do you do that? How is it possible? So one way is you make a resolution. Okay, this year I'm not going to speak Lashon Hara. This year I'm going to focus more on my Tefillah. This year I'm going to make sure to study the Parashat of Shavuot. <clears throat> this year I'm going to study the laws of Shabbat. Uh, this year, I'm going to make sure to say Devar Torah at my table. A lot of resolutions a person can take. This year, I'm going to say Birkat Mazon every time I eat bread. This year, I'm going to make, say a bracha with more concentration. But another approach a person can take is based on a Gemara. A Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin. And the Gemara says that Yaakov Avinu, when he came to Haran, on his way to Haran, he remembered that he for, didn't pray at Haramoriah at the holy place of Haram Moriah, where the Bet HaMikdash stood. And he said, how is it possible that I walked by this place where my parents pray, prayed, and my grandparents prayed, and I didn't pray there? I didn't say Tefillah in Haram Moriah. So he turned around to go back to Haram Moriah. And Rashi explains, Miyad that right away the earth immediately jumped for him. And Haram Moriah, which was kilometers and kilometers away, it came to him. Right there, immediately. So the Mepharshim explained that the same thing happens when a Jew passes a holiday and realizes that he didn't take advantage of the holiday. On Rosh Hashanah, we collect yirah, we collect a certain amount of fear for Hashem the entire year. We're going to talk about that later. On Yom Kippur, we start gathering thoughts of Teshuvah, 
of repentance. But, and for Sukkot, it's all about the happiness. But then what ends up happening is that we forget about this. Or especially in recent generations and later generations, these, these days go by and we don't feel inspired anymore. Okay, it's just another fast of Yom Kippur. Seven, eight days of Sukkot, Simchat Torah. Okay, no, no. But when we start thinking of these thoughts, when we start thinking about these holidays, even in the middle of the year, the days jump back. And you can gain all the benefits that one had at that Yom Tov from them. If a person yearns for Rosh Hashanah, he, it, it becomes Rosh Hashanah. If he yearns for Yom Kippur, it becomes like a Yom Kippur. You can receive the fear, you can receive the feelings of Teshuvah, you can feel the joy of Sukkot throughout the year. Bereshit para lokim et ve'et In the beginning, God created the heavens of the earth and the earth. What is Reshit? What is Bereshit? For Reshit. So there are many, many explanations that our rabbis explain what the word Reshit refers to. Some say that the world was created for the tzaddikim, who are constantly repeating this pasuk, Bereshit bara lokim uh, in other words, Hashem created the heavens and the earth for the Jews who have emunah. Many people say they believe in God. They believe in Hashem. There's a really a true sign a person can use to, to tell whether or not that's true. Is he joyful? Is he tranquil? Is he relaxed? If they're worried about the future or they're upset about the present, then their emunah isn't perfect. They may have faith, but it's not a perfect faith. They don't believe that they're in Hashem's hand, who's leading them in the best way. They said that in this week's parasha, Cain was worried that he was going, after he killed Hevel, he was worried that people were going to take vengeance and kill him. So Pasuk says, Vayasem Hashem lekain, ot kol That HaKadosh Baruch Hu put a sign on Cain's head so that people will not touch him. He gave him an ot emunah, the rabbis tell us. He gave him a dose of emunah. And therefore, because of that, because of that dose of, dose of emunah, now Cain wasn't worried anymore. He didn't fear. He wasn't anxious about going on with his life, of how people would react when they see him. Alufenu mesubalim, David HaMelech says, that one, if one believes in alufon shel olam, if one has emunah in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then, uh, and believes that everything comes from him, he can be mesubal, he can be sovel, he can endure and accept everything that happens to him. One of the daily prayers that we say every every morning, since, uh, again, some of us wanted to talk about tefillah, one of the daily prayers we say every morning is Baruch She'amar. And the four letters that begin with the four, four, four first words, is Baruch She'amar Vehaya Ha'olam, spell out, Bet Shin Vav Hei Beshaveh. Beshaveh. What does this mean? The Baal Shem Tov explains that when a person knows and truly believes that Hakadosh Baruch Hu runs the world, Baruch She'amar Olam, blessed is the person who, blessed is Hashem who spoke and the world was there. When he truly believes that, then the good and the bad are shaveh; they're equal, the same, they're the same to him because he knows it's all in Hashem's hands and he knows that everything is perfect. Bet shaveh; the two are equal. Bet shaveh. There was an amazing story once of a family who wanted to be with their, uh, with their rabbi for Simchat Torah. 
It's, it was, it's very uh, common amongst certain uh, sects of Judaism that uh, when it comes to Simchat Torah, they travel far distances to be with their rabbi. But they were having a hard time finding an apartment near the rabbi. Uh, they couldn't find something to rent for, for the holiday on Simchat Torah. They found one apartment, but the price was way too high. And, the, and they, they made a takana that people can take advantage of raising rent. So they figured if we, would have, if we would pay too much money, then people are taking advantage. So therefore, they didn't take that apartment that the person offered. <clears throat> and days were passing and Simchat Torah was coming closer. And they still didn't have an apartment. And, but this man and his wife and his family, they had full bitachon. It doesn't matter. We're going to find something. And came Hoshana Rabbah, two days before Simchat Torah. The man was looking for the apartment. He went to the Bet Midrash. To uh, the Hoshana Rabbah is a very holy night where we say a lot of Torah all night. And he went to say Tehilim. And he came back home at one in the morning. And his wife greeted him, smiling, jumped, hugged him. And he said, Baruch Hashem, guess what? We found an apartment. We found an apartment for Simchat Torah. And the man was ecstatic. And he was about to respond and the phone rang. One in the morning, the phone rang. Who could it be? One in the morning, who's calling so late? And when they picked up the phone, they realized it was the person who they were dealing with earlier who wanted, who wanted to charge them much more rent to take this apartment and was willing to offer them the apartment now for the normal price. And the man picked up the phone and heard this and said, and he was about to tell him, ah, it's okay, we have an apartment. We found an apartment. But the, rabbi, the, the wife stopped her husband and says, no, 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 no. We don't really have an apartment. But I figured that if they found one, if, if we are certain, if we believe, truly believe that, we ha- that, we're, that Hashem is going to give us one, then Hashem will find us one. And therefore, this, that's what happened. She explained to the husband, you came home and I said, we have an apartment. I totally believe, now deep down inside, she knew she didn't have one, but it doesn't matter, Hashem is going to find one. And immediately when she said it, the phone rang and the guy offered them the apartment so that they could have uh, the opportunity to celebrate with their, uh, with their rabbi. And for days they were firm with their bitachon. And their bitachon reached its peak on Hoshana Rabbah when the wife said this with certainty that they already had um, an, an apartment to, to rent out. The gematria, the numerical value of the word va'et hanan, va'et hanan, which is the parasha Vatchanah means, and I prayed, referring to Moshe's prayer, is Shira, 515, singing. The Baal Turim says the reason why it equals Shira is because a person should trust in Hashem so much until he sings to Hashem, even before his salvation actually arrives. That's how much Bitachon he should have. The story once in World War II, where the Nazis were approaching Yimach Shemam, and after uh, deep thought and contemplation, the Briska Rav, Zecher Tzadik Livracha, decided that he needed to escape into the forest. And under the circumstances, they felt he felt that that was the best he should to do to escape with his family. And he told his family, we're going to escape to the forest, but we are not taking any food with us. Now think about this for a second. Put, put yourself in their shoes, if that's even possible. You're escaping to a forest, and you're not taking any food with you? And he did so because... He had full bitachon, emunah bitachon, in HaKadosh Baruch Hu that he was going to provide for them. A few hours later, they found a person in the forest carrying two large baskets 
with food. And he found a brisker rab, recognized the brisker rab, he was a big chacham. And he said, would you like some food? So brisker rab inspected the food to make sure it was all kasher. And, uh, and he told his family he could take the food. And they engaged conversation with the man. So why do you have so much food? And the man said, well, I was supposed to make a wedding today for one of my children. Everything was already cooked, but the wedding had to be pushed off for better times due to the situation. We can't have the wedding now. But why should all this food, good food go to waste? Here, have all of it. So the brisk Rav thanked HaKadosh Baruch Hu and told his family, you see, HaKadosh Baruch Hu provides for us. He told his family the following. He says, you eat now as much as you want, but you cannot, under any circumstances, take any food with you. Whatever you eat now, you eat, and then when we go off, we have full faith again in Hashem. After the meal, they continued walking into the forest. The next day, they encounter another man carrying baskets of food. And he was also supposed to make a wedding. And it was pushed off. And in there was kosher meat and bread and food, the best of times, unbelievable uh, food that they had. One thing there wasn't in that basket was dessert. No dessert. Weird. You have the food of a wedding, there's no dessert. But no one really cared because they had plenty to eat. But the rabbi, the brisker rab, something was bothering him. He was upset. It wasn't that there was no dessert that was bothering him. He never took interest in the foods that he ate. He asked his family, did any one of you save something from yesterday's meal with the first guy? No one said a word. He asked again, did anyone leave food over when I said not to, not, not to take food with you? And finally, one of the ch- children, he was afraid that he would get punished. So he, but he finally spoke up and he said, I didn't know if we were going to have any food today. So I put away some dessert from yesterday's meal. And the brisker Rav looked at the child and said, See Hashem's wonders. The boy kept, you kept some dessert and therefore that is what's missing today. If you had full emunah and you wouldn't have taken the dessert, this man would have had dessert as well. Powerful story. Bereshit bara Elokim means the world was created for Reshit. What is Reshit? So we explained one explanation that Reshit means, it means the Tamidei Chachamim. The Zohar writes that Reshit means Yirat Hashem, Yirat Shamayim, fear of heaven. Pasuk says in Tehilim, David Amer says, Reshit Chochma Yirat Hashem. That is a Rashid, fear of God. Kol ha'olam lo nivra ela letzavot lazeh. The Gemara Masech Brachot says the world was created solely to accompany the people who have fear of heaven. The purpose of the world is for people to fear God. There are many levels of Yirat Shamayim, of fear of heaven. The most basic level is to take Hashem's decree seriously. Hashem's mitzvot are mentioned in Shulchan Aruch. That is our code of law. These laws are not just good advice. They're not just good things that we should do. Something that we do when we're in the mood to follow. These are obligations. And Yirat Shamayim means to recognize that what's written in Shulchan Aruch, the Jewish law, is things that we have to follow. The snake in this week's parasha told Chava, Af ki amar elokim lo tochelu mimenu. Even though God said, don't eat from it. Even though that's what God said. And the rabbis explained that the snake was telling Chavam, 
So what if Hashem said that you can't eat from the tree? Big deal. Does that mean you have to obey? Does that mean you have to listen? The Yetzehara, the snake, the Nachash, comes to us with similar words. We can learn a halacha in Shuchan Aruch. You can learn a halacha with me or with your teacher or anywhere, any class that you listen, and you could say to yourself, so what if I learned it? What does that mean? Does that mean I have to keep it? Does not mean I have to keep it? Yirat Shamayim, fear of heaven, means yes. That Hashem decreed that law. The rabbis decreed that law. And therefore we have to obey. Et Elohim yara ve'et mitzvotav shemor kizeh kol adam. Fear Hashem, for that is the essence of man. I saw written something extremely powerful by Rabbi Elchanan Wasserman Hashem Yikom Damam, who was murdered in the Holocaust, something that was eye-opening. And he writes the following about Yirat Shamayim, fear of heaven. He writes, Don't think that fearing God is a quality in mankind, and therefore if you just lack fear of God, then you're still a human being. You just lack an important quality. He says, don't think that. He says, unbelievable, listen to what he says. He says, if a person doesn't have fear of heaven, if a person doesn't have Yerat Shemaim, he's an animal. He's an animal. He's not a human being. He isn't a person at all. And he proves it. The Pasuk says, et Elohim you shall fear God, for that is the essence of man. A man's greatness is determined by how much fear of heaven he has. Whether he has a lot of fear of heaven, or he has a little of Yirat Shemaim. If he has a lot, he's a great person. And if he has a little, he's a smaller person. But if he doesn't have any Yirat Shemaim, if he doesn't have any fear of heaven, you're just an animal that appears to be like a human being. That's all you are. And he continues and he says, that in this week's parasha, when Hashem decides to create man, He says, Na'ase Adam. He says, let us make man. Let us make man. Hashem needs, who, who's he making? Hashem is making man. Who, who's us? Who's he uh, asking advice for? There's a lot of answers to this question. But the Zohar Akados explains that Hashem asked the entire creation to give a part of themselves to the creation of man. So therefore, inside man, and when I say man, I don't just mean males, inside males and females, inside mankind, there is a part of the entire wild kingdom inside of us. Inside man, we have the traits of hawks. We have the traits of snakes, of bears, and lions, and creepy crawlers, and other cruel animals inside of us. This is what we're made of. This is man's makeup. We have the potential to act, God forbid, like these wild animals. But we have to tie ourselves down with iron chains to restrain ourselves from doing so. To restrain ourselves from causing damage to others. What is that iron chain? Yerat Shamayim. Fear of heaven. That's what Rabbi Chanan Wasserman writes. When Hashem creates man, He created with him a chain to tie him up. So he won't destroy the world. And that chain is fear of heaven, Yirat Shemaim. Only Yirat Shemaim can control man that he shouldn't act like a wild animal. Nothing else can tame a person. And it doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are. It makes no difference. You need Yirat Shemaim. How does a person attain Yirat Shemaim? How does a person get 
fear of heaven. Well, the easy way is just to study Torah, perform mitzvot. That's the easy way. Right? Keep the mitzvot, you get Yirat Shemaim. But I saw something beautifully written. That a person can attain Yirat Shemaim, one of the primary ways to do so, is to watch what you see. Watch your eyes. Guard your eyes. That's why the last words of the Sefer Torah, the last words in Chumash, is Le'ene Kol Yisrael. Le'ene Kol Yisrael. The eyes of the Jews, of all the Jews. And the first word is Bereshit. Le'ene Kol Yisrael Bereshit, which we said Bereshit is Yirat Shamayim. Bereshit refers to, to fear of heaven. So... What, what we're saying here, because when you guard one's eyes, when the eyes of Israel is guarded, then you can attain Bereshit, you can attain Yirat Shemaim. You can also read it and understand it that the connection between the two is that we should make guarding one's eyes a Bereshit, a priority in our lives. The Rambam in Hilchot Teshubah writes that there are five sins that it's very likely that a person will never do Teshubah for. And the reason why he won't do Teshuvah, the reason why he won't repent for those sins is because he doesn't even consider them to be sins. And one of them is looking at Arayot. It's for a man looking at forbidden things, looking at things that he shouldn't see, not guarding one's eyes. He doesn't know that looking at bad things is considered a very severe sin because it leads to grave sins indeed. We say every day in the Shema, twice, three times a day. Don't stray after your heart and after your eyes. But it's not only the men that have this responsibility to guard their eyes. In this week's parashah, who was the person that didn't guard their eyes? It was Chava. It was the first woman. It was Chava who sinned with her eyes. The Pasuk tells us, the woman saw that the tree was good to eat. She saw with her eyes that the tree was good. And it was a desirable for the eyes. So we see also that women also have the, ob- the obligation to be metaken, what Chava did. Chava used her eyes to sin and to eat from the tree, so the women also have the obligation to guard to guard their eyes. And in contrast, what is the last pasuk of this week's parasha? Venoach matzachen be'ene Hashem. Noach, this is, which we know is next week's parasha, but he's introduced in this week's parasha. Noach found favor in Hashem's eyes because Noach was careful uh, with his eyes. And the Orachayim HaKadosh teaches that until the generation of the flood, Hashem actually spoke to His creations directly to rebuke them, to correct them on the right path. The Pasuk says, Hashem, Hashem spoke to the snake and He spoke to Adam. But once people began sinning uh, with, with adultery, once people began sinning with their eyes, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, you know what, I don't want to deal with you people directly. And then it had to be, um, it had to be through prophecy. It had to be through different means to get his message, message of cross. Sometimes people feel that this is impossible to do. Sometimes people feel that to reach levels of yirat shemayim, fear of God, is not simple, and uh, they have to get and they have to give in to their ta'avot. They have to give in to their desires because the urge is so strong. How do you control yourself? 
whether it's your eyes, whether it's your ears in Lashon Ara, whether it's, uh, it's Shabbat, whether it's kosher, how do you control yourselves? So that's why the Gemara calls the Yetzehara a mountain, because the Yetzehara makes it seem impossible to overcome the temptation, just like it's impossible to overcome a huge mountain. But it is possible to, to win. It's possible to defeat the Yetzehara. The Yetzehara, the Katzka Rebbe says, is like a lion made out of paper. Start ripping the paper and you'll see. And you'll see how how to overcome it. If you overcome your temptations and you guard your eyes, you guard your ears, you guard your mouth, you guard all the things that bring you down, you will reach very, very high levels. And one example in this week's parashah, with this we'll conclude, is Chanoch. Chanoch, who is again spoken in the, in the parashah, he died at a quite a young age. He died at 365 years old. I know that for us it's old, but that was at a time where people were living in the 800s, 900s. So 365 was pretty young. So the Torah writes, He was no longer in this world because Hashem took him. What does it mean Hashem took him? So some say that Hashem took Hanoch and turned him into an angel. He turned him into a malach. And Tosafot in the Gemara quotes that opinion and asks from other sources that, wait a second, this angel that, that he turned him, he was... The angel was around from the six days of creation. So how can Hashem take Hanoch and turn him into this Malach when this Malach already existed before? And the Shalah Kadosh answers that both sources are correct. During the six days of creation, HaKadosh Baruch Hu created this Malach. And some generations later, Hanoch was born. But Hanoch lived in an era of the flood. He lived in the generation of the Mabul, where many, many people were committing horrific, severe Averot, and sins, and despite the challenges, and despite the corrupt behavior, and the, the, the downward spiral and downward trends of the time, Hanoch remained loyal to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And in that merit of overcoming all the temptation that he had, imagine the whole world around you is cruel and putrid and corrupt, but yet you stick with God, in that merit HaKadosh Baruch Hu united Hanoch with the Malach with the angel. Because a person that goes against the tide, a person who is cautious with his eyes and his ears, and he's, he's weary of the Yetzirah, and he fears, he has Yerat Shamayim, he fears heaven, and he knows what, what will come about if God forbid he sins. If a person is able to reach those levels and attain Yerat Shamayim, you reach the highest levels. You reach the levels of Malachim. Bereshit para Elokim et HaShamayim ve'et Aretz. Bereshit, in the beginning, it's this Yirat Shamayim that we all strive for. There's Yirat Shamayim in the Shamayim with the Malachim, and there's also Yirat Shamayim here in the Aretz. There's Yirat Shamayim here of the people on this earth that we have to strive for. Yes, we can strive to be like the Malachim. It's a high level, but Chanoch did it, and he lived in a very, very horrible time. I hate to say, we don't live in such good times, both physically and spiritually. Look around, life is tough. You know, we, we're, we're in the middle of a pandemic, so physically we're suffering. But you look around in social media, in billboards, in movies, and all these things, and it's not an easy, it's not an easy world to live in. So much is allowed nowadays that was never allowed uh, just only 20, 30 years ago. And we consider it normal. We, we, and if you, if you, God forbid, say it's, it's wrong, you get chastised, you get rebuked, but we have to fight it. 
We have to we have to stick to our guns. Uh, we have to we have to hold strong in what we believe in, connection to Hakadosh Baruch Hu and Yirat Shemaim. These are some of the timely messages of this week's parasha. I thank you all for listening tonight and coming out in your very busy schedule. Bezrat Hashem, we'll continue this uh, again uh, next week.